Thanks so much for listening to the Clifton Church of Christ sermon podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen, and we hope if ever you're in Clifton, Texas, you'll stop by and say hello. We hope you enjoy this sermon. Welcome, everybody. Uh, it's great to see all of you. Um, uh, Gary, I might need you to click the slides for me. My clicker's not working. But uh, last Sunday, I began talking to you about how part of the beauty of Christmas is that it is a place where we see a lot of paradox. And paradox is a word that it just means that when you say two things at the same time, those two things seem to contradict each other, and yet somehow, some way, they don't contradict each other. And in Christmas, we have one of some of our most powerful paradoxes of the human of, of all history of mankind present in this one moment. We have, as Tim put so well, I wish I could just, I'm going to have to just cut your communion talk and just put it at the beginning of this sermon whenever I put it online, but we see that even though we can't comprehend it, it's a paradox that in the manger, God is fully God and he's fully human. We see that the most powerful being that has ever been and ever will be, God, is also in the same breath able to be the most powerless thing, a little child born, just born, can't do anything for itself. And as we talked about last week, we saw that we are able to see that in the manger, the transcendence of God and the presence of God are both fully there. Uh, go ahead and go to the next slide, Gary. God is transcendent in that he is not like us, he is God, we are not. He is holy and we are not. He is sovereign and infinite and we are not. He is perfect and pure and we are not. He is separate and apart from us, completely and totally independent of us. And in the same breath, God is near. He is wholly present with us. He is active in His created world. He is, he is present and active in nature and history and in your life and in my life. And He acts in the world all the time. He is everywhere. He is in everything. As C.S. Lewis put it in, a, in this quote we have here, God is both further from us and nearer to us than any other being. And so if I were to try and summarize what I was trying to get the point across last week, this is how I would put it. You can go to the next slide, Gary. If God is fully present, but He is not the transcendent God, then He would not be enough. It wouldn't be... It wouldn't make a difference because, you know, I'm present. Am I going to be able to save my family's lives eternally? I'm fully present with them. No, I'm not because I'm not transcendent. So if God, if He's fully present, but He's not transcendent, then He wouldn't be enough. And today we're going to focus on this half of the, the, the message. Go, to, go ahead and go to the next one, Gary. If God is fully transcendent, but He's not present, then it wouldn't matter. Let me read that again. If Jesus is fully present but not transcendent, if He wasn't indescribable, all-powerful, all-knowing, then He wouldn't be enough to be our Savior. But if He was fully transcendent but He wasn't present with us, then it wouldn't make any difference. Uh, a way I might describe it is this. If I came home and the toilet was broken and I said to Catherine, Oh, thank goodness, Sam Wells can fix this toilet. But he was in another country, then it wouldn't really matter. He has the ability to do it, but the presence is what I need at that time. You've got to have both. Presence is something that we all cherish. We've talked a little bit about love languages before, and I've told you that Catherine's 
top love language is quality time. And I think all of us, whether it's your top or it's not, we all care about being present with people and people being present with us. We've all been there before, whether you've done it or whether you've seen it, where you've gone into a restaurant, you've gone to Chewy's and Waco, and you walk by a table of a family and every one of them is on their phone. They are all sitting there together, but not a single one of them is present with each other, right? We've been there before. Present doesn't just mean, oh yeah, we're, we're right here. It means, are you giving me your attention? Are you giving me your focus? Are you showing me that I am something that's more important to you? One of the times I got in the most trouble, by far the most trouble when Catherine and I were dating... I wasn't planning on telling this story. But she went to A&M. I went to ACU. So I was in College Station to visit her. We went to lunch with her friends. We came home. And the Cowboys were about to win versus the Lions, even though we did lose. It was the game where Matthew Stafford pretended to, to spike it, and then he jumped over the goal line. And I remember sitting there at the TV. Okay, the game ends. I'm really upset. I come back. All right, I've got like an hour left to hang out with Catherine before I go to Abilene. Guess how she feels? We're long distance dating. We see each other once every six weeks. And I spent the last hours I had before going back to school being present and giving my attention to the television and the game. We care about... But, but I was in the same room with her, right? I was present with her. No, presence is far more than just being in the same physical space. It's about the attention. And yet, part of the beauty of Christmas is not only is Jesus' presence about Him giving us His focus and attention, but it's also Him giving us His physical presence as a human with us. I'm going to read from John here because in John we see something that I think is very powerful. I've said it many times. John is one of the Gospels that does not give us a birth narrative. John does not begin, and an angel came to Mary. It's one of the Gospels that doesn't do that. And yet, I would argue that John is just as interested in trying to tell you, just like Matthew and Luke, that the beginning of the Gospel is the fact that the God of the universe decided to come and be among us. He just decides to tell it in a different way. That the transcendence of all the greatness of God, the one who created the world, did decide to come and be among us. Let's read. In the beginning was the Word. The Word, you, it's so hard, we don't do justice to what he means by that, but you can see it's capitalized. In the beginning was the truth, the message, the powerful voice of God that created the universe. In the beginning was that Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Let's keep going. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. Now we're, now we're talking about the presence. We've talked about the transcendence. Now we're talking about the presence. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word, the powerful voice, the wisdom, the truth that created the heavens, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. 
We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. We may not have a birth narrative, but we do have a message of the transcendent God, the fully transcendent God, became fully present and dwelled among us. I think Peter tries really hard to try and describe this also in Colossians. In Colossians, we have this, probably some of the most beautiful poetry that we have in the whole Bible, where Peter says this, if you want to go to the next slide for me. There we go. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. When he says invisible God, what does he mean by that? Well, I think what he's trying to say is, God is transcendent, he's beyond, he's, we can't put words to describe him. He is invisible to us, and yet he decided to make his grandeur all come and be seen in the image of his Son, present with us, Jesus Christ. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Now, here's this great line. For in him, this child born in the manger to poor peasants, in him all of the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And so the message that I have for you today is that Last week we focused that in Christmas we see so beautifully the transcendence of God with the angels coming to proclaim. And this week I want us to focus on how beautifully we see the presence of the invisible God deciding to come and dwell among us. And I do think the appropriate question that you should be asking yourself right now is this. Drew, Christmas is great. We're so glad that Jesus came and was present thousands of years ago. But sometimes in my life today it doesn't feel like he's all that present with me. One, you could say it doesn't feel like he's all that present because he's not standing right here next to me. And you can say he doesn't feel all that present because if presence means he's giving me his attention and his focus, we've all been through seasons of our life where we felt like God was not giving his presence to us. Or as the Bible would say, that God had turned his face away from us. And I want you to know that part of the beauty of the story of Christmas is that Mary and Joseph are a great example of people who had every reason to think God was not giving his attention to them. Let's just run through the laundry list of this couple, Mary and Joseph. Mary and Joseph, I, I want you to imagine all of the untold, like we, we get this great story in the gospel, but think about all the untold stories and unheard prayers that, that we didn't get to hear, God heard them, the untold stories and prayers that Mary and Joseph experienced after that angel came and spoke to her. The looks that she had to experience from family and friends. The looks that Joseph had to experience from family and friends. Their trip to Bethlehem as she was having to make this long journey in the, towards the end of her pregnancy. Then, there's the part about an angel coming to Joseph and saying, Joseph, the king is coming to kill your son. Y'all need to flee. We don't really talk about that story as much in the birth narrative, but I want you to imagine, for any of you who've had a, a newborn baby, that you bring, you come home, you get everything set up in the nursery, you're trying to do the first few nights of having a child at home, and a message comes to you that the governor of Texas is wanting to come and is wanting to kill your child, and you need to flee. Can you imagine how stressful that would feel? Can you imagine Mary's going, God, you told me we'd get a son. Couldn't you maybe help out with this? Couldn't you maybe keep us from having to run away and do this? Uh, it probably would be fair for her to think that God was not with them in that flight from Bethlehem to Egypt. 
And then they're returned back afterwards and probably all the stares and the whispers that Mary had to endure probably her entire life of, oh yeah, you know, I mean, remember, that's, that's the Holy Spirit had that baby. Remember that? All of that, Mary and Joseph probably felt like God wasn't there. He wasn't giving them attention. And yet, God was literally there with her, in her womb, in her arms, the whole time. And I can imagine you thinking, well, that's easy for Mary to say, Emmanuel, God with us. She's literally holding him. But I'm not holding him. But the message of God's presence in the Bible isn't that he magically takes our problems away, but that he is with us in our problems. He was with them on their journey. He was with them as they evacuated and became illegal aliens in Egypt. He was with them in all of that. You can imagine thinking, well, Mary had an angel come and tell her. Mary had someone who she literally was like, well, I know this is God's baby, and we don't have a presence like that anymore. But I want you to, I, I thought about this, and I, I stand by what I'm about to say. I can understand you going, it would be easy for me to maybe think, well, God is with me because I'm literally holding his son, and I don't have that. But what Jesus does tell us is that we do actually have his presence with us, literally, in just the same way. Because when Jesus ascended, he said, It is better for you that I go, because what I will leave with you is my spirit. And my spirit will be with you and in you in a literal, present way, unlike anything that has ever happened before. And so you may think, well, I'm not Mary. I don't have his presence in that way. But you are. We all are. We all have his presence with us through his spirit living within us. And then the next question I thought you might be asking, maybe, it's a question that I think has been a, a big uh, misinterpretation of Scripture for a long time. And I hope that all of you, after you hear this, will agree with me on this. Well, Drew, there is one place that God can't go. You know, you say that God is present with us, but there's one place that God can't go. You remember how Jesus was on the cross and he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we have songs that I love, like How Deep the Father's Love, where it says, How deep the Father's love for us, um, and how vast beyond our measure. And then it says... Uh, the Father turns His face away. So Drew, you know, there is one place that you can't, where, where Jesus isn't able to be with us, and that is when we are in our sin. Jesus and God can't be present with us because God can't be around your sin. And I want you to know that I completely and totally disagree with that. In Psalm 22, Jesus quotes, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But if you keep reading Psalm 22, it says this, I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him. And as you know in Scripture, to turn your face means to not give you your presence anymore. And Jesus is literally quoting that God on the cross has not turned his presence from him, but has listened to his cry for help. There is no place, not even in your sin, that Jesus won't be able to come and free you. There is no place that you have ever been or ever will be that God isn't there pursuing you with arms open, waiting for you to come to Him. 
Well, Drew, wait, what about, what about this? What about this? There is no place that you have ever been or ever will be that God isn't able to be there pursuing you. Psalm 139, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the mountains, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on wings of dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. Recently I was at a funeral where I heard the the funeral officiant starting to talk about Cain and Abel. And I'll be honest, I was really confused. I was like, okay, where are, we, where are we going with Cain and Abel here? And the point that he made was he said, he talked about how sin, it, if you're familiar with the story, it says that sin is crouching at your door, waiting to devour you. And he talked about that. And I really thought, I was like, where on earth is he going with this? And then he finished up by saying, but Christ is crouching there also. If you think sin is pursuing you, it's nothing compared to how much God is right there trying to find you in every corner, in every place, pursuing you and saying, there is no place that you can't go, that you can go, that is outside of my, my reach to pursue you. The good news of Christmas is that the all-surpassing love and majesty of God gave us His greatest display of His desire to be present with you and me in Jesus Christ. He could have come any other way. He could have come, in, but He came in the only way that would make us feel like he was with us. I was recently reading a a biography about a guy who was wrongfully put in prison. And on multiple occasions, he was wrongfully put in prison. And what he did in prison, though, was he constantly made that prison a healthier, better place. All the inmates elected him to be the leader of the jail cell because of the way he would help and take care of different things. And as I was reading it, I remembered thinking, you know, I should probably be doing more prison ministry stuff. I should probably be working on that, going and visiting and trying to help. And by the way, that's a very good thing. But that's not what Jesus did. Jesus didn't come and once a week visit us on earth and give us a good message for an hour on Friday night. Jesus came and was incarcerated in our situation. Think about, I think prison ministry does such amazing work, but every single night that person, that minister, that church member goes home and eats food with their family and goes to bed in their bed and takes a shower in their shower and lives their life. Not the inmates. Right? But Jesus is like this person in the biography that I read about where he said, actually, I'm moving in. I am going to sleep in the exact same beds that you sleep in. I'm going to eat the same cafeteria food you eat. I'm going to experience the pain and difficulty that all of you are experiencing. I will be in this place with you. He could have come so many ways, but he came the only way that would make us feel like, as Tim put it so well, that he was actually one of us. He, came, he became like us. He cried like we do. He walked and ate and drank like we do. He skinned his knee like we do. He bled like we do. He suffered like we do. All he wants from us in return is for us to be with him. And if you are with him, as the Bible tells us, you will rise like he did and be with him eternally. I hope this Christmas, in the midst of all the wonderful traditions that you have, that you stop and enjoy this precious moment that we realize that the God of the universe decided to be present with us. And He wasn't just present with us 2,000 years ago, but He's present with us all the time, every day. Doesn't mean He takes away all our problems, but it means He's with us in our problems and He can redeem them. If any of you have any prayer requests, let's stand while we sing this song.